National Catholic Register. This is Register Radio, bringing light and clarity to the news and topics that affect your life. In an exclusive story this week, the Register reported that the U.S. Health and Human Services Department is planning new rules to mandate health care providers comply with abortion and gender transition agendas. The rule is expected to dismantle Trump-era religious liberty exemptions. Register staff writer Peter Jesser-Smith has the scoop. Then, what are the takeaways from the U.S. Bishops' Fall Assembly? Registered National Correspondent Loretta Brown reports from Baltimore. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Editor-in-Chief and Executive Director of the National Catholic Register. I'm joined by Loretta Brown from Washington, D.C. Loretta, how was the Bishops' Conference, how was it actually to be back in person? Yeah, it was really um, unique, and I think the Bishops were very excited to be back in person. And it it was just... I, you could see that people were happy to be able to be talking with each other and, and seeing each other. And um, it just, it had a, a more uh, like close uh, feeling than some of these other conferences. I noticed the bishops were, were spending a lot of time, I think, catching up and discussing a lot mm-hmm. of these issues that have been on their minds for a while. Um, and, and more so behind closed doors as well. So they had more time you know, not in the public eye. They had more like closed door sessions. So I think they recognize that it's just been a long time since they've directly communicated in person and they kind of needed that time to, to discuss things. Right. And of course, they were masked uh, during most of those discussions just uh, out of safety and I think the requirements of, um, of Baltimore. Um, but it, uh, so you couldn't always see their smiles, right? Or their frowns. <laughs> um, yeah, but, there were those but, elements. <laughs> yes, but I think, it, I think you could uh, probably sense that sigh of relief to, uh, to be returning to, to somewhat normal. Uh, I mean, you mentioned some of these hot button issues that, that just over the last um, year and a half, almost two years really, that have just been um, uh, just bubbling, uh, especially during the election year and, and all of that. And, and during that whole time, they were re- pretty much remote. Um, so, so certainly it was good to have those closed door sessions so that they could actually discuss uh, without the, being in the public eye. But Loretta, you know, there was a lot of expectation that some of that um, heated discussion might spill out into uh, the general assembly and the gatherings that were public, but it did not seem to. So uh, h- how was it um, that we managed to get a Eucharistic document without um, sort of the acrimonious discussion that took place in September? You know, I think the bishops really d- wanted to avoid another heated debate. So I think mm-hmm. Bishop Kevin Rhodes, who was on the doctrine committee, um, you know, drafting this document, he really put a lot of time and effort into having these regional meetings and discussions and really making sure that there could be consensus on this document. So the different bishops I talked to really credited him for that and said, um, you know, they just, they did talk a lot about this and prepare this in advance so that they, I, I mean, I think the the implication was that they, yeah, they didn't want to have another kind of heated debate. And it was something where I think there were, there were things in the document that, that different bishops really appreciated. And so the discussion, it was, yeah, it was much shorter. And, and it was interesting too, because I think people did 
weren't quite sure what to expect, you know, mm -hmm. if another, you know, more heated debate would ensue when this came up, but it was actually quite brief. You know, there was even, there were some like grammatical concerns and such Funny, <laughs> when it was being yeah. discussed. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Loretta, I think the media did frame it that way. I mean, even secular media was, was ready and watching. They had a high number of, um, of, uh, media, I think, uh, signed up to watch, you know, registered to, to be there. And so, yes, everyone was ready for that. But what does the document actually say? If everyone was ready for it to, or hoping, some, some hoping that it would say something very specific about politicians, especially in light of uh, President Joe Biden and, and Nancy Pelosi um, continuing to receive communion, even despite their pro-abortion stances um, and, and an aggressive agenda. Uh, but it, it, doesn't, it doesn't mention politicians at all, does it? No, it really doesn't. And, you know, it does uh, try to kind of focus on the Eucharist and, um, you know, the church teaching on the Eucharist. And in terms of worthiness to receive communion, I think it, it does a good job of laying out general principles there. And, and that was what they had said that they would do, you know, back in the June meeting. I think that was what they'd come to was that, well, we're going to restate some general principles of, of church teaching. So they mentioned canon law about, you know, not coming forward to receive communion if you're conscious of grave sin. Um, so that's in there. There's uh, some there's some quotes from, you know, the previous popes about, you know, if a Catholic in his personal or professional life knowingly and obstinately rejects the, you know, the doctrines of the church, they should refrain from communion. Um, and, you know, so things like that, they obviously kind of include politicians, but, uh, but it's they not don't, specific. They don't, exactly. So. And and, and Loretta, really, there were some bishops who really wanted that in there. They were pushing for it. Uh, from those you've talked to, was there disappointment? I didn't hear so much disappointment uh, from, from those I talked to. They, they talked about how they were glad, they thought it was needed that there was a restatement of the Catholics in Public Life document that I just quoted part of about, you know, not presenting for yourself for communion if you're obstinately opposing the church. But I did... You know, it was interesting, Archbishop Nauman, so I spoke to him. I think he actually, he did go out of his way a little bit during the assembly itself to say, listen, you know, we, we bishops still do have an obligation that we should keep in mind, that maybe we don't keep in mind as much as we should, that we really do need to dialogue with these politicians. If they're, you know, obstinately opposing church teaching in such a public way, we do need to talk to them. That is our obligation. Um, so he, he, he expressed that very strongly. Um, you know, during the assembly. Yes, you know, I read something at the Catholic thing, uh, the website uh, that Robert Royal runs, and and it was, uh, I think, Stephen White, and he basically said, you know, when there's so much division uh, in culture, uh, in, in the church, uh, amongst a body of people, that sometimes it's really good to just get back to the basics, right? Essentially, that's what he said, and, and that's essentially what this document does. It gets back uh, to the basis, basics about the Eucharist uh, in a way that we can put into practice in our lives and that we are responsible uh, for putting into practice in our lives. And, and so it is an important document, an important read. Uh, this is Jeanette Mello on Register Radio. I'm talking to Register National Correspondent Loretta Brown about the U.S. bishops meeting this last week. Loretta, what are some of the other takeaways uh, from the bishops' meeting? It wasn't all about this Eucharistic document. 
Yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't all about the document, but the, a big focus was the Eucharist. Um, mm-hmm. And another element of that was the Eucharistic revival. And that was kind of an exciting and interesting thing to hear about is this three-year initiative to to get parishes involved in, you know, more Eucharistic adoration, Corpus Christi processions, things to just really rekindle that awareness of the real presence and, um, you know, church knowledge of church teaching on that among the faithful. And it will culminate in a Eucharistic Congress in Indianapolis at the end of the three years. So they, they kind of laid out a plan and approved that. Um, and so I think there was a lot of just excitement to, they, you know, they had this poll about um, a third, a third of Catholics are not aware of the real presence uh, or are not fully aware of the church teaching on it, according to this this poll. And I think that really concerned a lot of bishops. Of course. Um, yeah. I mean, naturally, because it is such a central part of church teaching. So that was behind, I think, a lot of, of that push. And there were there were other things, you know, they elected chairmen for, for various committees. And they they also had a, a kind of a really interesting presentation on walking with moms in need. It's this initiative at the parish level to make a wide array of resources available for pregnant mothers in need. And it was really the, the apostolic nuncio, Archbishop Christophe Pierre, talked about the importance of this initiative. And Archbishop Nauman, who heads it, mentioned, you know, the Dobbs case coming up to the Supreme Court, we could see a revisiting or even overturning of Roe versus Wade. And in that case, an initiative like this is going to be very key um, to, to show that the church is really, really there on the other side of that with, with all these resources for mothers um, right. to, to help them, to empower them. Yeah, you know, Loretta, I find that very interesting. Obviously, there is this um, this pivotal case coming up. Um, December 1st is when uh, the Supreme Court will hear that case in Dobbs, which really does t- strike at the core of, of Roe v. Wade and, and um, how uh, late in, uh, in, a, in a pregnancy uh, s- someone could have an abortion. Um, and that's a Im- very important case. It wasn't you know, abortion wasn't really a part of the bishops' conference at all. In fact, what was obviously is helping women in need and in crisis pregnancies, walking with them. I think that's a beautiful witness um, to the pro-life movement and to the Catholic Church. Yeah, certainly it was, and, and so many bishops were inspired by it. So many bishops came up after the presentation to say, listen, like we've always tried to emphasize this, that w- the church mm-hmm. has resources and we have efforts to, to really give mom these, give moms these material resources and just remind them like we we're there, you know, we have, we have uh, resources for you so that you don't have to do this alone. Absolutely. And I think that that deserves a lot of emphasis and, and we as a paper, as the newspaper need to, to keep putting these kind of efforts before I think people's minds and, and help them to become involved in it. Because if Roe versus Wade were, were to um, be struck down and, and these kind of laws go back to the States, um, we have a lot of people in need who we need to serve, right? And we need to, as a church, be there for them. And so extremely important initiative. I wanted to mention one last thing. Uh, we have just like a minute left, Loretta. Um, you mentioned uh, the nuncio, the papal nuncio, Pierre. Uh, you, you also heard um, Archbishop Gomez, the president of the USCCB speak. Um, what were some of the points that he made during his address? 
he had a very powerful address, and he talked about the timelessness of church teaching um, amid kind of a time where he talked about people are losing their sense of God. I think it was mm-hmm. it was really powerful how he he just talked about you know these ideologies, these secular ideologies that reject you know elements of you know, Catholic teaching on on human dignity, and that really have become very aggressive. And I think he was. He was very brave and insightful to just say, we need to return to the message of Christ, to the gospel, and really fearlessly proclaim that amid a culture that really just doesn't want to hear it and, and has, has lost kind of their sense of that. And, you know, I, a lot of bishops I spoke with afterwards praised that and said, you know, Archbishop Gomez really has his finger on the pulse of things that they've perceived and been fighting with, with just these secular ideologies springing up that that just reject God and, and, you know, the dignity of the human person and embrace these ideas that are very contrary to that. And the church just needs to continue to be bold and speak out against that. Again, it's another back to the basics. I think Archbishop Gomez was representing that and the whole conference this time did represent that. So Loretta, thanks for covering it. And our listeners can go to ncregister.com for more information. When we come back, we'll get the scoop on the latest HHS mandate that's working with activist groups to strip conscience protections. Stay tuned to Register Radio on EWTN. Archbishop Cordelione talks about the National Catholic Register. The Register's content is so critically important in the society we're living in now. There's an absence of the practice of religion in public life. So all the more important is it for people to be reading the Register so that they can acquire more understanding of our Catholic faith. I've appreciated the catechetical benefits of the content of the Register. It presents very clear Catholic teaching in a way that is easily digestible. To get six free issues, order online at ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. That's ncregister.com forward slash radio or 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. Call or click today. The National Catholic Register. Read faithfully. I listened to you for about six months now, and you've really got my mind turning on my faith and my doctrine and my beliefs. Came to know Christ through a Pentecostal church, and just listening to the beliefs of the Catholic faith and had me really reflect on what I believed and what the truth was. So I'm kind of leaning. Making a difference. EWTN Radio. Let's return to Register Radio on EWTN. Welcome back. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Editor-in-Chief and Executive Director of the National Catholic Register. We are always covering religious liberty here at the Register. It's such an important facet of our coverage, and that's because it's often threatened uh, these days. And uh, so this week I was very pleased when Peter Jesser-Smith, our staff writer, got out ahead of an important religious liberty story. So there are groups that want to expand abortion and push transgender agendas, right? We all know of those kind of groups out there. Uh, Well, these groups are collaborating with uh, the Biden 
Biden White House, specifically the Health and Human Services Department, to roll back former Trump administration laws that protected religious freedom, um, especially for health care providers. Peter, this was a very strong story that you had. It, we were, it was an exclusive. We were out ahead. How did you discover this information? Well, so this information comes from case file, uh, August 13th case files in a, in a particular case called Whitman versus Walk, uh, Whitman Walker versus HHS. Uh, they were discovered by attorneys for the, um, uh, for the Catholic Benefits Association and then uh, forwarded to, to the register. Uh, in these documents, there's a huge memo that HHS points to. Uh, it's a memo from a group called Leadership Conference uh, on civil and human rights. And it points to their plans to not simply only repeal the 2020 rule issued by the HHS, uh, Health and Human Services Department, under the Trump administration, that had religious freedom exceptions from the 2016, um, you know, what's often called the transgender mandate. It required the problem for, for Catholic entities, it would have required uh, participation of Catholic health care in things like gender transition and sex reassignment surgeries. Mm -hmm. um, but the brief clearly indicates that the, the HHS has plans to go way beyond that. That's right. And it, that includes uh, really requiring abortion services, which has long had conscience, uh, uh, conscience rights um, and protections. So let's backpedal a little bit here sure. and, and kind of establish who's who in this big push. Um, okay, so Right. So you talked about the 2016 mandate um, that uh, had been in place for quite some time. And then Trump uh, worked out uh, much better uh, religious freedom and uh, conscience protections for those health care providers, including lots of Catholic hospitals. Um, mm -hmm. And now there's uh, this big push. <laughs> um, and we'll yeah. get to who the leadership conference is. But who discovered this? Catholic Benefits Association. What does Catholic Benefits Association do? Yeah, so this is very important for, for the story. So Catholic Benefits Association is a, it's an organization with a membership that includes 71 dioceses. That's a bit more than a third of U.S. dioceses and eparchies and uh, a thousand affiliated members, charities, hospitals, universities, small businesses, as long as it's a majority Catholic control. Mm -hmm. So the CBA had successfully litigated for protections uh, for their current and future members from abortion and transgender mandates. The challenge that is now what this memo from leadership conference from leadership conference for civil and human rights, which is includes a who's who of very radical organizations uh, among their membership. Um, the, the memo basically outlines how they want or intend to basically overturn those religious freedom exceptions. And in fact, they outline a plan for no religious freedom exceptions. And they want to find a way, and they proposed a way, to basically reintroduce contraception, abortion, and transgender mandates. So it, it, does, put, it does put a lot in peril for, you know, for, for Catholic health care. 
Okay, so so uh, the the CBA discovered uh, these documents. Uh, yeah. They forwarded onto the register. You were able to comb through them. Uh, what are the documents aside from this memo uh, that that kind of outlines what they want to do? Um, what what else is involved? Sure. So going to the documents themselves. So this case involves one of the members of the leadership conference task force getting impatient with. The HHS, and this is Whitman Walker, which is an um, LGBTQI plus health network based in D.C. They sued HHS because they said, you know, you've taken more than six months. You're going too slow. HHS, to, roll back the, to, to roll back the Trump era uh, protections. Right. HHS said to the court, to the federal court in D.C., look, we're working on it. Whitman Walker is part of this leadership conference. The idea that you just roll back a rule within six months is is pretty ludicrous. Mm-hmm. Um, they point to a couple other other examples, but they assure the court, this is what's very interesting. They say, look, we're going to probably resolve most or all of their major concerns, you know, and we're going to go beyond the 2020 rule. And they cite the leadership conference memo as an exhibit. Why it's extremely important, you know, why it's ext- this memo is extremely important. And this memo includes a very number of, a number of very radical groups, which includes Planned Parenthood Federation of America, the Center for American Progress, Human Rights Campaign. These groups have a very radical sexual agenda. Right. And by HHS pointing to this memo as an exhibit, this 73-page memo says these concerns are not exhaustive. They're not comprehensive. They are their major concerns. So it says something incredible when we get into the content of this document that HHS says they're going to resolve most or all of their concerns because this document just lists their major concerns. Right. Right. And uh, as you've pointed out in your story, there are uh, no, this group actually doesn't want religious exemptions. What we don't really know is, is how far the HHS would go on that particular point. I mean, the group, right. The group wants to um, dismantle this. I really want to get, because, I mean, we've talked about kind of what the problem is, and this is the problem is, you know, these hospitals and groups, Catholic groups, religious groups would be, you know, uh, essentially forced, uh, to comply with this very aggressive sexual agenda. What yeah. do they have to say about it? Uh, what are they going to do about this? What does uncovering this mean for them? Yeah. So, uh, so great question. How I should set it up is this. This memo intends to impose a huge variety of things on Catholic health care through using a particular section of the Affordable Care Act that has to do with uh, forbidding discrimination based on sex. Now, back when the Affordable Care Act was passed, sex meant one thing. Mm -hmm. Now, with the Bostock Supreme Court decision, sex includes not only gender, gender, um, you know, sexual orientation, but also sexual identity. And that's going to be their backdoor to mandating this very radical agenda. What they're not just telling you is they're not just outlining a path for insurance people to cover contraception or abortion, um, but they're also telling, or uh, in this document is 
mandating treatments for the socially infertile. Um, that doesn't mean people who just can't get, you know, you know, can't, man and can't woman have can't babies, get pregnant. Right. Correct. This means people who are either because they are single or they are, you know, uh, same-sex couples or have undergone some kind of gender transition sex reassignment procedures who can't get pregnant. Right. And so now they want insurance and doctors to both cover and perform it. So the it outlines a whole bunch of a whole bunch of these things including banning uh, disc associational discrimination. This is huge because that means if you're a hospital looking to hire your chief operating officer for example or your chief medical officer, if he moonlights as an abortionist, you can't disqualify him on those grounds. Right. So this is huge for Catholic. This is is huge for Catholic identity. The potential impact here for the Catholic Church is to run us completely out of out of health care. And this memo identifies the USCCB's ethical religious directives as the huge problem. Now, why people everywhere need to be very concerned about this, even if you're not Catholic, is one out of six hospital beds are operated by Catholic entities. And leadership memo, leadership conference even notes this in their memo, just how expansive Catholic healthcare is. We are in the middle of a pandemic. Right. We want to disrupt 20% of a hospital and medical system that's near breaking, if not breaking in some places due to this pandemic, because that's essentially what they've proposed here. And that's why this radical agenda is just so detrimental to so detrimental to the fabric of the United States because they want no religious exemptions. They think they're going to force everybody to comply by government mandate. And, and that's, the, that's the big concern why we all have to be vigilant and why um, CBA has said to be vigilant. Here's right. where the case is now. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Where the case is now is well, I uncovered a, a, a court ruling uh, from October. It said the federal court agreed with HHS. They're not going to interfere with their rulemaking process, but they want updates from starting November 30th every other month until April 2022 when HHS has told the federal court they're going to have this rule finished by then. After that, there will be a comment period, but we'll know officially what we're up against, you know, sometime by, by that point. But it's very real and it's already underway. Right. And actually, I think um, the, the benefit of this story, Peter, is that we get out ahead and, and at least publicly we can start to pressure uh, the government and say, hey, uh-uh-uh-uh, <laughs> we've been here before. So I'm going to let our audience know what the story is so they can go to ncregister.com and look it up. It's titled, Exclusive HHS Plans New Rule to Mandate Healthcare Providers Comply with Abortion and Transgender Agendas with No Religious Freedom Exceptions. And this is by Peter Jesser-Smith at ncregister.com. Thanks for joining us here on Register Radio. Please look for more news and analysis at ncregister.com. For Matthew Bunsen and our producer, Jeff Burson, I'm Jeanette DeMello. Until next week, God bless you. For more information about the National Catholic Register and about Register Radio, go to ncregister.com. 
Podcasts of Register Radio are posted on ncregister.com and on EWTN.com. Join us next week at this time for Register Radio on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.